The information shared in this podcast does not necessarily represent EVRMA's stance. These podcasts are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Hi, welcome to Fertilipod, a podcast by EVRMA. Dr. Andres Ritz. Welcome back to Fertilipod, the podcast where we discuss current topics and the latest research in the field of reproduction with some of the world's leading experts. Let's get started. In today's episode, we're having coffee with Dr. Antonio Requena and talking about his experiences as the chief medical officer at EVRMA. Dr. Requena graduated from the Complutense University of Madrid in medicine and he completed his training in gynecology and obstetrics at the Autonoma University in, in Madrid. He then spent time at John Epic's lab in Maine, and he finally received his PhD in medicine from Rey Juan Carlos University in Madrid. He's also earned master's degrees in management development, management in health institutions and innovation, and leadership in fertility. He has been invited to speak nationally and internationally and has authored many, many publications, book chapters, and abstracts in our field. He serves as a reviewer for Reproductive Biomedicine Online, Human Reproduction, Fertility, and Sterility. He's also the editor of a textbook in reproductive medicine. And Dr. Antonio Requena is an assistant professor of OBGYN at Rey Juan Carlos University and the director of the master's degree in biology and technology applied to assisted human reproduction by EV Madrid and the European University of Madrid. At EVRMA, he served as the former executive manager of EV Congress. He's also been the director of EV Madrid. And right now he is the chief medical officer at EVRMA Global. Dr. Requena, thank you so, so much for having coffee with us today. Thank you for your introduction. I'm very, very nice to be here with you. Thank you. Our pleasure to have you. Now, let's start by the very beginning. You finished your residency, and then you went to EV in Valencia to specialize in fertility. Why did you choose reproductive medicine? When I finished my residency, the management of the reproductive medicine in Spain was just beginning, and there were few gynecologists and almost none that they were focused only on the reproductive area. Most were gynecology centers where the treatment of the infertility patients was incorporated to the routine work. At that time, the main treatment in those centers, I think, was the intrauterine insemination. Um, at that time, EBI, IBI was starting in Valencia. There were a little clinic, but 100% focused on reproduction. And that was very interesting uh, for me. Uh, Dr. Garcia Velasco and I had some interviews with Dr. Pellicer and Dr. Remoy because they were thinking about opening uh, one clinic in Madrid. Um, finally, uh, they invite us to join to the IVI family. And that was the beginning. Yeah. Now, we, we often see leaders in reproductive medicine as people who've, you know, kind of rose through the ranks in our field quite organically. You, you now serve as the chief medical officer of the largest fertility group in the world, but it wasn't always like that, right? Did this all happen organically, like I said, 
or what made you kind of want to go from clinical to a leadership position? Sincerely, I never actively looked for this position. And like I said, that everything happened quite logically as the company grew. As I say, when I joined IVI, it was just one clinic. And as you say, today we are the largest IVF group in the world. At first, Dr. Remoy and Dr. Pellicer supervised the outcome, efficiency, and the correct functioning of the medical area of the IVI clinic. But there was a time when they thought they needed some help as they had many other responsibilities leading this big company. So one day they both call me and say, hi Antonio, we think you could make a good medical uh, coordinator for IVI. Sincerely, I felt very grateful and I accepted my new position. At that time, the company had half as many clinics as it now has. Later, the group continued growing and in the new layout of the organization chart, I was promoted to chief medical officer. Finally, after merging with RMA, Dr. Scott, as CEO of the company, decided to kept me in the position, and now I carry on working with Dr. Pellicer as CEO of the company, the person who hired and then promoted me to my current position. It's a nice story. Now, aside from accepting the position itself, what, what choices did you consciously make to get to where you are today? You know, um, I think I being lucky to be part of this great family, where from the presidents and the CEO to my colleague doctors and clinical directors had made my work much easier. I've also had the opportunity to be surrounded by a group of excellent professionals who are working with me in the medical affairs management. I think it has been very positive to delegate part of my work to the medical director of each clinic. Obviously, there are protocols and guidelines that apply to the whole organization. But the same way my bosses delegated things to me, I had followed that same approach to each clinical director. That's probably a big part of the of the success of, of EV and RMA is precisely that sort of almost autonomous function of, of each of the clinics, right? Now here it is. Here it is. I, I can't imagine, obviously, being the CMO of, of such a large organization is, is anything easy. What are some of the biggest challenges you face as the CMO? It's indeed a complex but very rewarding job for me and for my team of medical affairs. You know, we work hard to have common standard operative procedures for the whole company with the challenge that we have clinic in many different countries, different culture, different laws. And we have also to solve uh, all the medical issues that arise every day in the different clinics. And also we have a very narrow collaboration with the rest of the headquarter management of the company. We have to work with the future in mind as well. We work with our foundation to be able to incorporate new scientific advances into our daily activity. And for example, we are working very hard 
in developing genetic in our affairs as we honestly believe that it plays and we play a very important role in reproduction. We also work hard in our quality management system to minimize the incidence of adverse events. And finally, we're working in the correct management of these events in the case that they appear. So this can help us to improve the global program. Right. Now, there are definitely a lot of challenges, and I agree, of course, managing and trying to keep a common standard is an important one of them. And we'll speak about that more a little later. But on the other hand, it must also be very rewarding to be in your position. What are you, what are you the most proud of in your career? Um, I am very proud to be part of IBI and to have uh, got ahead professionally as my company uh, has grown. I am also very proud to have been able to help a lot of people along my career in their dream to be parents, both as a doctor, following up on their cases, and as CMO, ensuring that my company offers the most reliable care for them. And aside from your role as a CMO, obviously you, you work very hard, you work probably 25 hours a day, but what does Dr. Antonio Requena do for fun? <laughs> you know, that's uh, because of my work, I have to travel a lot. But uh, even though I should be tired of taking plane, I love traveling in my free time, discovering new countries, new cultures. On the other hand, Madrid, the city where I live, I make the most of it, saving a one of my friends, going to the theaters or going to the opera, that is something that I really like. And I I have an extra question here for you about that. You mentioned you really like traveling. And I, as you may know, I like to do my, my research about the people I'm going to talk to. I spoke to Dr. Juancho Garcia Velasco, and he told me, definitely ask him about his travels to India and Nepal as a resident. <laughs> wow. It's a long time for that. Uh, I remember we were in the first year of residence. Um, we decided, sincerely, Juancho decided, and he invited me to, to travel to, to India. For me, it was a travel uh, India and, and Nepal. Uh, I think that we spent uh, one month traveling there, and it was a very, very exciting experience. Uh, you know, that probably it was, I think that it was my first long trip and was incredible. I, I I remember, you know, very positive of that. Yeah, very good, very good experience. Awesome, awesome. So so much fun. Now, going back to your role as CMO, one of this is one of the main things I wanted to talk about. One of the main responsibilities of a CMO, of course, is choosing what to implement out of all the science, all the innovations that are being published all the time. What do you choose to to implement in in your centers? Of course, most centers worldwide offer evidence-based medicine, and there's always new techniques that are being offered by some people before they are actually sound, before they're actually scientifically proven. In a world where there's not only medicine, but also the business aspect of reproductive medicine, how do you handle that corporate competition while honoring evidence-based medicine at the same time? This is a very good 
question and, and, and reflection. Indeed, it's my data uh, that uh, our centers our offer evidence-based medicine, but this is sometimes difficult. We live in a global society where patients have a lot of information about their treatment and they are very demanding. Almost all the time, the new procedures that we incorporate have a solid evidence-based foundation, but we have also to consider that sometimes creating a fully evidence-based criteria might take us years, sometimes, and sometimes it is difficult to wait for red eyes uh, control trial before introducing a new technique in our practice. In these cases, we incorporate techniques based on other type of studies and in experts' opinion. All this, considering that we could increase the opportunity to get pregnant without compromising the safety of our patient. The key, in my opinion, the key is to be honest when we explain that the treatment that in this case we are recommending might not be to be supported by the best quality of evidence-based medicine, but it is safe for the patient and we could get very good result. And finally, it is up to the patients with all the information to make, to make an informed decision. Uh, speaking of evidence-based medicine and kind of talking about, about all of this a little bit, you, you've obviously attended many scientific conferences. And in fact, you, you serve as the executive manager for the organization of EV Congress. What, what was this experience like? What, well, number one, what is EV Congress? And also, how does one organize a huge international scientific congress like that? Um, EV Congress is, a, you know, I think that is a very good project of, of the company, Remember that we started, uh, I don't know, time runs very quickly, but uh, I can say that uh, the work, uh, my, my work as executive manager of the EV Congress has been very, very exciting. Uh, I remember that, we, uh, that uh, we did the first edition in Valencia because, as you know, the EV project started there and of all because it is a fantastic city. Our goal in this moment, just from the beginning, was always to organize a Congress at the highest scientific level with leading figures in the fields of the reproductive medicine. For the first edition, I remember that the number of attendees was outstanding and their feedback was really positive. That circumstances encouraged us to continue with the project that year after year had continued growing. And today, I believe that it is a mass in the field of the reproductive medicine. This year, it will be heard online in November due to the pandemic situation. But I hope that in, in the next edition, we can resume the face-to-face -face format because it is always very pleasant to have the opportunity to share science with friends and colleagues. Right. And, you know, virtual is okay, but in person, it's so much more fun. <laughs> now, I, um, I, I would like to know, you know, we, we ask everybody that comes to our coffee talks, if, if you had to pick in the past, what have been the most significant one or two landmark, you know, publications, innovations, discoveries 
that have changed how we actually practice reproductive medicine? What's have been, which have been the two biggest things you that you think? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult you know, to decide it, but it was probably things that for, for our organization, there had been two major milestones in the practice of, of our reproductive medicine in the recent years. On the one hand, beautification, of course. I think that beautification has been fundamental as a method of cryopreservation. Concerning oocyte, it has allowed us to develop the fertility preservation programs, both for medical and social indications. Moreover, it has allowed us to launch the oocyte embryo accumulation program that are so important for women with low ovarian reserve. And concerning embryos, it has also been a great advance with excellent survival rates after thawing that has led us to introduce, for example, the freeze all program. And in my opinion, probably the other innovation had been the incorporation of the new genetic diagnosis techniques. NGIS has been essential to work with the very robust PGTM programs. And the other diagnostics platform are very important as well for the other method that we are incorporating into our daily practice, such as, for example, the expanded career screen. In summary, I think that, you know, that for us, these two uh, introduction innovation uh, have been very, very important. Absolutely. Key, key developments for sure. And what do you think, you know, moving forward, what is going to be the next big thing? What, what, what will be the next big practice changing thing in the next five, 10 years? More difficult. <laughs> this is a much harder question, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Probably, you know, that's, uh, I think that's in, in the basic area, in, in not too long, I think that we are going to be able to create gametes from adult cells. Um, it, at the end, we will get it. Uh, this will be uh, something incredible in the field of the human reproduction. It will be, will be the, the solution for all the low responder and ovarian failure problem in women and women, sorry, and, and in, in, in men, similar. You know, that's a suspermic men. This is uh, really fantastic. And I think that probably we will continue growing in the genetic diagnosis uh, linked to the infertility treatment. And I'm sure that that uh, will be very, very important as well in, in our area. Definitely. Sounds so, so promising. Dr. Rekena, thank you so, so much for being with us today, for taking the time to have, to have this coffee with us and to, and to share your views with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. This has been another episode of FertiliPod by EVRMA. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week for more research and topic discussions on all things reproductive medicine. See you next week. Thank you.